Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and this is our episode number 163. This episode is brought to you by Lark. If you are managing a remote team, you might want to try this next generation office suite. Lark seamlessly brings together chat, video conferencing, docs, calendar, and so much more. You can enjoy smooth video calls for up to 100 participants with unlimited minutes and advanced screen sharing. Get started for free at larksuite.com techeu. Again, that's larksuite, L-A-R-K-S-U-I-T-E.com slash T-E-C-H-E-U. You. Today, I am happy to be joined in our virtual studio by two of my favorite Belgians. First, Robin Wouters, founding editor of TechEU, and Sebastian Tupi, the head of startup relations at The Next Web, or as he calls himself on LinkedIn, the startup guy. Hey, thanks, thanks so much for joining today, guys. Thanks for having us, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Two Belgians that might break the internet. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody knows Robin, uh, uh, so uh, probably he doesn't uh, need an extra introduction, but uh, Seb, uh, can you talk a little bit more about yourself? What is it that you're doing and uh, yeah, who you are? Yeah, of course. Yes, first of all, I'm really happy to be here. As you mentioned, I'm, I'm in charge of startup relations for the next web. So I basically spend the majority of my time helping startups to connect with investors, mentors, and corporates through a number of events and innovation programs that we're running. And uh, recently also been involved more and more with government initiatives that are really helping startups to implement pilots and proof of concepts with uh, the government. Brilliant. Thanks. So, I invited uh, the two of you today to talk about uh, hackathons, which I have been seeing a lot of over the past few weeks. And Sebastian, you happen to be a co-organizer of one of them, Hack the Crisis in the Netherlands, which is happening right now as we speak. And we are recording this on the 5th of April 2020 in the afternoon. Also, later in this episode, we are going to hear from Alex Thuma, uh, the founder and CEO of SaaS Talk. The virus has impacted his business, obviously, but also himself personally, so we'll hear more about his experience and a new online conference that he is planning for later this summer. But before all that happens, let's listen to a four-minute news recap from our reporter, Annie Musgrove. Hi, I'm Annie Musgrove of TechEU, and here are some of the most important news stories in European tech. Germany has pledged 2 billion euros to support its startups during the times of pandemic. The country's Minister of Economic Affairs, Peter Altmaier, said the ministry has created a tailor-made package to make sure the local startups keep getting funded. It seems like the money will mostly be spent on co-investing with public and private funds, as well as other financing instruments for early-stage companies. The initiative also aims to support the Umbrella Funds, KFW Capital, and the European Investment Fund, to use public money to replace the capital withdrawn by other investment funds. London-based broadband constellation satellite operator OneWeb, backed by SoftBank, has filed for bankruptcy protection in the U.S. Here's a quote from OneWeb's press release on the topic. Quote, Since the beginning of the year, OneWeb had been engaged in advanced negotiations regarding investment that would fully fund the company through its deployment and commercial launch. While the company was close to obtaining financing, the process did not progress because of the financial impact and market turbulence related to the spread of COVID-19. End quote. OneWeb will lay off most of its employees, only leaving a small team in place to keep managing its satellite constellation. Brussels-based startup Colibra has closed a funding round of 112.5 million US dollars. The valuation of the company has doubled compared to last year to land at 2.36 billion dollars. The round was led by existing investors, Iconic Capital and Index Ventures, as well as Durable Capital Partners, which invested for the first time. 
Founded in 2008, Calibra has built a suite of services that help enterprise companies manage a variety of issues, data privacy and protection, compliance and risk mitigation, operational efficiency, and cost reduction. According to co-founder and CEO Felix van der Mille, the company wants to help its 450 customers, quote, understand, trust, and benefit from their data, driving better business decisions. Gilda Healthcare, a specialized investor based in Utrecht, the Netherlands, and Cambridge, Massachusetts, has raised a new fund of 416 million euros. Gilda Healthcare 5 targets startups in Europe and North America across the sectors of digital health, medtech, and therapeutics. The ticket size is expected to be anywhere from 10 million to 40 million euros. Russian e-commerce platform Ozone has raised $50 million from U.S.-based VC Princeville Capital, plus $100 million U.S. million from existing investors bearing Vostok Capital Partners and Sistema. The round of financing is a convertible loan that can be turned into equity. The financing will help expand the logistics and technology infrastructure, so the Moscow-based business can provide consistent service across Russia's 11 time zones. Part of the plan includes opening at least five new fulfillment hubs. This round brings the total amount raised by Ozone to about 650 million U.S. dollars. Israeli-founded smart rideshare infrastructure company Via has landed a reported 400 million U.S. dollars in funding at a post-money valuation of 2.25 billion U.S. dollars, according to Globes. Via was established in 2012 in Israel, but today it's headquartered in New York with its development center in Tel Aviv. The startup has developed a dynamic transportation system which uses algorithms to adapt ride-sharing routes to passenger needs. It's also known by its ride-sharing platform Via Van, which is a joint venture with Mercedes-Benz Vans. These are some of the most important European tech news stories from the week of March 30th. I'm Annie Musgrove. Now back to Andre. Annie, thank you so much for the great recap. And now we can get back to our topic. So, Seb, you are a co-organizer of Hack the Crisis, where Robin also happens to be a mentor. And I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit and voice some of the more, let's say, skeptical opinions uh, from around the internet, which I don't necessarily share, but still. And uh, Seb, you're probably going to be the positive uh, voice uh, in the room. And I hope that Robin will be today our voice of reason, if that's possible. Yeah, it might just be the background voice. Okay, sounds good. So, Seb, can you start by describing uh, the event uh, you're busy with, how it's organized, the goals, and so on and so forth? Yeah, of course. Basically, I think uh, I should start by uh, by explaining a little bit about how uh, that event came to be, because I think this event didn't exist 10 days ago. I was invited uh, by the organizers of uh, Garage 48 that launched a, a hackathon in Estonia uh, about two and a half weeks ago now, and they were the initiators of the um, Hack the Crisis movement, uh, where they basically were at the very beginning of the confinement of the quarantine, as we call it, and uh, and wanted to do something to help and then really know where to start. And as their businesses focused on organizing hackathons normally offline, they thought, how about we take this online and see how many people we can mobilize? So they did it in Estonia. Uh, and then a couple of days later, the Latvians, who are very close, decided to do the same. And that's where uh, I got involved. They asked me to join in as a mentor. And within the space of 36 hours, they gathered uh, just over uh, 800 people, about 92 mentors, a lot of organizations, and their president to be judging the final, which I thought was incredibly inspiring, particularly 
when looking at the solutions that came out of it. And I think we'll touch uh, upon that a bit later. For the ones that we have here in the Netherlands, it's it's relatively simple, right? We thought there's a lot of people in the Netherlands that want to do the same, that want to be engaged, that want to create an impact and be part of the solution. So we got to work uh, with a team of uh, five individuals, uh, mostly from the next web of InnoFest to start with. And that really quickly grew to almost 40 people that have been spending the last six days on launching this hackathon that went live on Friday uh, afternoon. Great. And uh, before we move forward with the Hack the Crisis, uh, uh, Robin, how has the experience of a mentor been so far? Yeah, really good. Um, to be honest, I haven't really been as involved as I would have liked, but I, I was a mentor for about uh, half an hour uh, yesterday on Saturday, um, just talking about as a, from a journalist standpoint, like how do you perceive this uh, COVID-19 crisis impacting startup ecosystem, but also the media uh, as an industry and how we actually deal with it as journalists. Um, so that was useful for me to sort of think about. Uh, I hope it was also useful for the audience. I haven't uh, seen any direct feedback or, or interaction, um, which is sort of, sort of also a bit of the downside of the, the format that you don't don't really engage with the audience in the same way that you would at a, at a physical event, of course. But, but yeah, I thought it was a, like a really good idea, and I, I, I'm you know looking to support it any way we can. Seb, how many mentors have you gotten? How many people have you got in the hackathon? Yeah, so quick numbers at the moment: we've got 830 participants that are working on Slack, uh, and the vast majority are very active. I think we see 650 people that are have been sending so far 18,000 messages since Friday. So that's pretty exciting to see. 31 teams, 204 mentors currently, and 130. Um, supporting organizations, out of which 23 of those are actually giving prizes, whether it is cash money or in-kind uh, support through programs and acceleration uh, initiatives. And uh, and of course, it is initiated in the Netherlands, as I mentioned, and most of the corporations and governments involved are Dutch-based, but the crowd is actually from 69 different countries, from Lebanon to Ukraine to Guatemala to Sri Lanka and Korea. This is really, really interesting. And uh, so it's, uh, if, if, if I understood the stats correctly, you've got one mentor per three participants. What do mentors do? It's a very good question. I think that's also something that's a bit different than some of the other hackathons that have happened so far. So we have mentors that are coming from a wide uh, range of background, from being sort of pitch coach professionals to being innovation leads in different big corporates, communications expert, legal consultants. Uh, and those people are actually more part of the teams than they are just mentors giving advice for, for as Robin mentioned yesterday, he was participating more 30 minutes. The other mentors are way more hands-on and they're really co-creating the solutions together with the teams. Because one of the big goals of this hackathon for us is to make sure that tomorrow when everybody sort of has finished and prizes have been distributed, that it's only the start of their journey, that they can actually build a long-term partnerships. Hence why for them to work with those corporations and public institutions is key because we want them to feel part of the solutions and own it in the long run. Okay, right. Let's dive into the, let's say, main question of uh, this uh, this conversation, which would be, what is actually the value of a coronavirus hackathon? And does it actually help the affected people in industries? Or is it more of a way for the participants to uh, do whatever, like develop their skills further, meet new people, and just, you know, feel better by knowing that uh, they are doing what they could to help uh, the situation? What's your answer, Seb? Yeah, um, 
I'd say it depends a little bit on the hackathon and Robin touched upon that yesterday when he was addressing the participants. I think the co-creation elements and the good connections being built via the hackathon are always useful, no matter which one you're thinking about. But then it, it sort of begs the question, does it really create any real value at the end of it? Here, our approach has been a little bit different. So instead of letting only participants submit challenges uh, and work on whatever they feel like working on during this weekend, we've been spending the past week uh, reaching out to to public, uh, public servants and civil servants from uh, hospitals, from clinics, from elderly care homes, and from the government, from Ministry of Justice and Security, all the way to education, so that they would submit challenges and tell us what are the real problems that we're facing in this crisis currently, so that the challenge that the participants are working on are on the one hand linked to an organization, which I think all of the players involved on a city level found crucial for this to make sense and to want to be involved in the first place. And then on the other end, to make sure that somebody could help them post hackathon. Because I think at the moment with the crisis situation, a lot of those institutions are swamped. Uh, the individuals are hard to reach. And obviously, they're very busy for obvious reasons. And we wanted to make sure that they would have sort of a point of contact to refer to and someone that can help them to post those solutions internally once the hackathon is over. So the value creation aspect is yet to be proven. I'm not going to claim that it's going to be exceptional just yet, but I'm really hoping that those connections are being made. We've had this morning a couple of pitch sessions with representatives from hospitals and university innovation hospitals in the Netherlands who are very enthusiastic and some of which are already planning to test with some of the solutions starting tomorrow. It's interesting that you uh, positioned this as sort of a juxtaposition as well. Like on the one hand, you build very useful uh, value creating solutions for the actual problem, or you develop your skills and you meet new people and you end up uh, building something you know, in the long term. That's not necessarily bad either way, right? So no. either way, either way you position that, that's a good thing. Um, of course, it, it's very, very useful for when you organize a hackathon, when you do it from a corporate perspective, you maybe rally it around a certain product or an API that you've built and, you know, you give people a common purpose. In this case, the purpose is pretty, pretty broad. It's a very, very wide range of different solutions and, and services you can build, um, which makes it very, very easy, uh, very, very difficult, I'm sorry, to, to really build something useful in a very short time frame. Uh, but if the intention is there and the goal is very clear and you meet the right you know, like-minded people and you have good mentors, then the value they create over, over a weekend or over a week is, is, is exceptional. So either way, it's a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I certainly agree. And I'm not saying that uh, one uh, uh, one is bad and the other is good. It's just more of a basically being clear about uh, what is it that you're doing. And I have to say that, uh, let's say, after we had uh, this uh, short uh, Twitter exchange uh, uh, over the week about uh, hackathons, and then uh, uh, Seb and I, uh, we talked a little bit on the Messenger with uh, Seb uh, explaining his point of view emotionally and passionately. I have looked uh, over uh, at a few recent hackathons, not just the Hack the Crisis uh, series, uh, but also the other ones uh, like in Switzerland and in Poland and so on. And I have to say that a lot of the winning projects look very similar, if not the same. Symptom trackers, uh, contact trackers, uh, remote uh, whatever there is uh, that could be remote, emotional support for uh, people who are lonely at home and so on and so forth. Do we need so many of these same apps? It's, um, if, if I can pick that up, then I'd say it's a fair question. Uh, it's definitely a fair question. And I do think that if they're so solving exactly the same problem in very, very similar fashions, we probably don't. Uh, I think it just depends a bit on how the hackathons were set up and uh, 
and sort of what the ambitions and the goals or each of those were. I know that not every organizer has sort of have had the uh, opportunity to be talking to all uh, all the same individuals and same partners to try to bring the continuity. I think it's very hard to do. As I've mentioned, we've reached out to a number of people who said we absolutely love the initiatives, particularly on the hospital side. We want to support, uh, but at the moment we just cannot. We don't have the capacity, uh, either mental or physical, of those people to be involved, and we have sort of bigger problems to focus on. On the other end, we've had a lot of other individuals that have also said, please keep us in the loop and keep us updated. Here's the challenge that we have. We cannot work on it with you just yet. But if you start building a proof of concept that would be, uh, let's say, uh, likely to to be implemented, we want to be involved post-hackathon and see how we can pick that up. So to your question, I think some of those solutions are very similar and are probably not all needed. I think that's a uh, that's definitely true. Um, we're really trying to sort of focus on the fact that for this one, which we've had maybe a little bit more time to prepare than some other individuals, that those solutions are slightly different than some of the others that have been created so far. Um, the second part of this one, and I'm curious to see what Robin's thoughts are on that too, it's that um, there's also solutions that are very local. So even though you would argue that some of the symptom trackers that you're mentioning is an app that can be rolled out worldwide, a lot of the ones that are related to the business continuity aspects of, of things and deliveries for local people, for people that are in quarantine and isolated, though those ideas are similar, they're impl implemented very locally. The creation of masks and ventilator systems, uh, it's not news, but as a lot of individuals, including the UN Secretary General has mentioned, the medical staff is crumbling. We've had hospital representatives that told us Philips can make the masks probably way better than anybody else and they're based in the Netherlands, but Philips can only deliver in seven weeks. And in seven weeks time, a lot of people will die. So we need people to be able to create solutions tomorrow. So that is also another aspect to maybe consider. Uh, local aspect, definitely agree on that um, because the same goes for startups if you really think about it. like It's not because a startup builds a solution that's similar to another startup that it's exactly the same company and it's the exact same business model. Sometimes it's like a small iteration or a small contextual uh, change depending on the situation that they're in or the, the culture or the location or the language, whatever, uh, that makes it valuable. So just, I think the same goes for these solutions that come out of the hackathons. Um, but I think it's also a bit of a... Um, uh, a request for uh, hackathon organizers to sort of look beyond what they're doing and sort of what, what are the solutions that came out of ha other hackathons and maybe even bring those similar uh, solutions and those people who are behind it together and to sort of share knowledge. So how did you approach this problem? Can we make this together and even team up or can we learn from each other to make it, to make it better? So if anything, it's an opportunity to sort of come together and look at, okay, how are you approaching this, this, you know, exact same problem from a different perspective? And maybe I can learn from that and, you know, build a better solution. Uh, yeah, I would very much agree with that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another part of the problem that I saw was that a bunch of solutions are basically mm, purpose-built sort of platforms that don't have to be purpose-built. Like you can do the same thing on a Slack workplace or a Facebook group or whatever. But I, but I guess that works the same way as you just, uh, as you just re responded. No, actually, if I if, if I'm gonna be the voice of reason, this is the one I actually agree on. Like, there's so many things that get built that are basically just uh, replicas of existing projects, which I think is 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 a waste of a uh, waste of time and energy for the most part. You should build either something on top of an existing platform that makes it better or improves it for the local, you know, for the current problem, the current situation, or you build something entirely new. But yeah, iterating on something that already exists is sort of a yeah 
And I, th- I think this one is very bound to the type of projects that we're looking at as well, right? I think uh, if, I, if I take a quick look, and of course, I don't have all the results yet, but I had a quick browse through some of the challenges that were worked on or submitted so far. Um, if you think about the business continuity and sort of locality of those applications for residents, then that is more bound to be similar across hackathons and across places, because those are the first ideas that come to mind for people to be solving, as well as sort of symptom trackers on the very superficial side of the healthcare, uh, let's say the healthcare uh, issues. Now, if you look a little bit deeper into some uh, more complicated problems to solve that really do require input from different individuals, from sort of big logistics problems that are faced by corporates, uh, whether we're talking about airline or railways or sort of general transport, or if we're talking about um, education issues and involving sort of like government and public institution from the education side, uh, that's where sort of like you really need those stakeholders and and you will most likely not find quite as many uh, sort of not that useful applications. And I think that's, as Robin mentioned, uh, an objective for us organizers and sort of key supporters of those hackathons to sort of make sure that that's uh, taken into consideration from the beginning. And how do you approach that as organizers? Uh, the way that we did it is that we basically sort of reached out to all key individuals in our network. Like uh, we have a, a team of sort of six, or seven people that are working on partnerships. And all of us have sort of reached out and say, we want to get in touch with public organizations and corporate organizations in different industries. These are the four key industries that we want to focus on and sort of basically went from there and then told them, we want to help. We want to create this hackathon, but we want to make it useful. What are your key problems and do you have individuals with all your organizations that can help us to formulate those problems that we're going to try to solve? So that's how we went about it. Obviously, as I mentioned, it's not been as easy as we wanted just because those people are in crisis themselves and it's not the first thing that they have on their mind. But we have managed to receive, I think, 14 or 15 different challenges that were submitted by medical professionals, by governments and by logistics companies. Right. Yeah, that's a great result, I think. And uh, I mean, I like your uh, answer be- from before uh, that the the whole spirit of uh, hackathon of building stuff quickly can be the answer to certain needs uh, that could be fulfilled by another bigger organization, but it would take uh, much longer for them. So that's certainly one of the selling points uh, for me at least uh, a skeptical person in general but also I wanted to mention one positive example as well which I heard uh, from you Sebastian uh, that uh, came out from another hack the crisis uh, hackathon and that was the individual protection gear for care workers right so if you can tell more about this yeah, uh, I certainly can. Uh, I think that one came out of Latvia, though it's been probably replicated in a couple of countries. But um, the Latvian uh, hospitals and uh, and uh, GPs were telling uh, some of the team members that were working on this project that they were lacking a lot of masks and that they really needed them uh, yesterday, essentially, after having contacted some of the big uh, mask providers who told them that they were uh, the, the orders were in backlog for at least a couple of weeks and they obviously needed them really rapidly. And within 96 hours, the organizers managed to find the raw material, designed the actual mask that had better specifications than the one that were currently in use, because they had those small sort of mouth masks that everybody uh, sees on the street right now. But for healthcare professionals, they really needed more of a shield that would cover them from the top of their forehead all the way to the bottom of their chin. And that would go all the way back to the ears to avoid projections, particularly for doing testing swaps. So those guys created 
the mask, uh, let's say, online based on the specifications that came straight from the doctors in the hospitals, found the factories that could produce them and in 96 hours had those masks ready to be delivered in, uh, in Riga, which I think is incredibly powerful because something that could potentially in the long run and in perfect conditions be solved by big corporates at the moment were just not being solved at all. And if those guys weren't there, the medical professionals wouldn't have access to this. Um, you also have to think that there's reprioritization of resources, particularly on a government level, and that all of those masks were sent straight to hospitals who were the ones who needed the most. But the GPs that are still consulting and still need to see patients didn't have access to this. So those guys were able to sort of fill a gap uh, very quickly by creating a product that would not have been able, uh, that would not have been available otherwise. And that's what I found very inspiring and sort of pushed me to want to organize this because I thought, I know there's very real problems in the Netherlands that need a solution tomorrow and not in two months. Fantastic example. Really inspiring. Seb, you're Belgian and you uh, are currently in uh, Belgium. Are you organizing uh, another one for uh, for actually the country you're uh, uh, you're staying in right now? That's a good question. It was actually organized already uh, last week uh, and I was helping a little bit the organizers with right. the setup before being involved uh, in mine. Uh, I think to your point though, uh, those hackathons are a really good way to get the solution started. But as I mentioned, we really see it as a starting point. So in the coming weeks and months, I don't really see uh, a lot of value in having more and more and more of those being created everywhere, but more consolidation. And I think we can get to that in a minute, but Robin also has insights as some other things that are cooking by uh, sort of larger organizations. Yeah, and not just large organizations. I'm, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a hackathon. For example, I, I know the Belgian tech community very, very quickly came up with a, a website where you can basically register if you want to help your neighbor with groceries or walking your dog. And they launched this and it was very successful because this is the kind of thing that usually gets organized by, I don't know, media companies or government. But I mean, within 24 hours, this was ready just by, by members of the community of a Facebook group called BTEC, right? And uh, they whipped it up they, very quickly and launched it and it's been very successful so far. So that's another example of something that can, you know, it usually takes a bit of time. Time is what we don't have in this time of crisis. Um, so it's good to have sort of people rally around a, a common purpose and a common goal to act quickly. Certainly. Right. Another skeptical side argument that I have been hearing uh, quite a bit. What is the budget of a hackathon like this? And wouldn't this money be better spent as a, say, donation to one of the corona-related fundraisers that we see a lot of uh, across Facebook and uh, wherever? How, how much money is involved? On our end, in terms of actual cash prizes, it's not very large, right? We have a, a number of organizations at the moment, 23 to be precise, that have offered to help with small donations as, you know, a little as 200 euros and I think as big as 5,000 currently. Uh, the majority of the prize pool really comes from the in-kind participation and involvement of the key partners that we have. So there's about 50,000 euros worth of services that has been committed currently by, uh, by those parties that have I've mentioned. Um, and they are really there to support the teams from acceleration programs, from consultancy services, from legal services, to sort of like a pitch training and workshops, uh, access to sort of networks, which are really going to be able to make those solutions viable in the long run. So from a budget perspective, it's not that big. What is committed, um, I'd say, could potentially be be utilized better if it was given by an organization that's already all fully set up. Um, 
The question then is, would that money be given by all of those organizations in that way directly? Because what we faced is that the procurement issue is a big deal as well. So those organizations would probably not have thought directly of being involved. Uh, it's really by being sort of touched and pushed by our initiative that they were willing to sort of unlock some budget. And they've already had to all sort of... Uh, beg their uh, procurement department to be able to make it happen in a much uh, more expedited way than it normally would be. Right. And let's get back then to uh, to the event uh, you're busy with and um, something that you already kind of touched before. But still, I have seen a lot that with the traditional hackathons, a big problem is that no projects or next to no projects are being picked up after the hackathon is over. And uh, basically no development uh, uh, usually happens. So what is going to happen to the projects uh, from Hack the Crisis and how do you approach this issue that uh, they may not uh, uh, see the light of day at the end of the day? Yeah, I think that is sort of the the biggest questions that we've all been asking ourselves with the organizers and have been working really hard on trying to fix. So the nine jury members that we have selected that can be found on our website are all involved with big organizations that want to see those projects through, including the city of Amsterdam, Smart Health, including municipalities in the north and some hospitals as well. Uh, so I think we have been spending the last 48 hours on getting those mentors involved with the projects and trying to see whether they can be part of the proof of concept so that they have skin in the game. And all of them have been incredibly responsive. So our goal is to really sort of foster those connections, make sure that the in-kind prizes are not given lightly. Hence why today we're only going to be spreading the prize money. So each of the winners of the four categories are going to receive 3,000 euros to be able to do the basic implementation, sort of if they have to register any kind of domain, websites, legal fees, things like this to get started. And then the services from all of our other partners are going to be distributed next week once we have the chance to have a meeting with them and actually select the companies that could benefit the most from receiving uh, this help. So we really want to push every single one of the team, not even just the 12 finalists, to get this to market and to make connections with the right individuals. I have heard sort of... Uh, in uh, in Slack and in some of the channels that there's already people that have discussed proof of concepts and involvement of uh, public uh, organizations such as um, the city of Amsterdam. Uh, and I'm really, really curious to see uh, where, where that's going to go. It would be really useful for us to get sort of a follow-up after... I don't know, a few weeks or a few months even, um, to sort of look back and see, you know, what did we actually do? Um, what did it yield? What was the, the, the things we got right? What are the mistakes that we made? And also get some accounts of people who participated, both on the judging side or the mentor side, and then obviously the participants in the hackathon themselves, sort of, you know, just gather their testimonies and, and make sort of a, an, a, an overall account of how it went and, and what can be learned. Because I think we're going to face crisis situations like this again in the future. So it might be useful to have sort of a, and account for it, you know? Absolutely. Maybe one thing uh, that I wanted to mention, Andrew, as well, that I found quite interesting is that uh, Robin sort of emphasized a few times on the value of the connections with the individuals that are present at the hackathon. And I think what's special here is that in general, you wouldn't have so many public figures or representatives from big corporations. In general, you have a lot of hackers and designers and people that are sort of on the solution side of things, but the mentoring is often very business related. And in this case, it's not about making a solution that can make a lot of money or that could become really massive. It's about solving a problem. 
Um, and we have uh, been connected, for example, with individuals from Sanquin, which is the local blood bank in the Netherlands, who says, you know, we've started doing a lot of the testing for the COVID-19, but we are not working with techies and with innovators that could basically tell us where our solution and where our tests are needed. And I think this is what we've seen here, where some of those organizations have the platform, they've got developed the tools, but they need to sort of have the knowledge and the approval of those public organizations that can tell them, this is how you should apply it. This is where you should focus your attention on. Uh, and that's what I'm really banking on and more than happy, as Robin mentioned, to sort of uh, have a little check-in with you guys in a few weeks and and uh, and see where we're at with those solutions. Yeah, we're certainly going to do that. Uh, but back to the question with implementation, then like another obvious question here would be how committed is the average participant. It's one thing to commit like three days of your life to work on a project, but then what happens next is you need to commit progressively more and more and more time to actually make things work. Do you think everyone who participates in a hackathon like yours has uh, has what it takes, basically has the time, uh, the resources on hand to actually keep going? It's also a very good question. It's one that I don't have the answer to just yet, but I'll find out very soon. All of the teams need to submit their full application, including their recorded video pitches, in exactly 12 minutes at three o'clock. Uh, and uh, and they, the, one of the first questions in the forum that we've asked is, are you actually committed to keep working on this in the long run? So it is one of the very first questions in the survey to sort of test a little bit the commitment of those individuals, see how much we need to push them to work with the organizations I've mentioned uh, so that they understand that it's something serious. Um, and another part that's good to know is that not all of those uh, innovators uh, are coming sort of with no projects in mind or no team behind them either. I think we've seen that there's about a fourth of the participants to a third of the participants that actually already had teams that either work on startups or that are teams that work at part of other organizations that are co-developing a solution, but they know each other and they're already working with each other as well. So I don't have the answer yet, but I'm really hoping that a number of those projects will carry on in the future. Um, maybe just on a side note, because of this the specifics of this situation where everything has to do very, very quickly and very urgently. Um, this may be the kind of hackathon that you don't actually need to commit long-term to. You might, you know, come up with a solution very quickly for something that is a very urgent, urgent problem, but that might not be a problem in a few weeks or even a few months time as, you know, bigger companies or, or bigger organizations or governments get involved in this. Um, so it's mostly, you know, maybe patchwork, uh, I would say, uh, for the moment, but it doesn't necessarily require you to commit a lot of time. Yeah, that's a fair know, point. In the next few months, years. So, yeah, that's a fair point. And uh, uh, right now, we don't have the names of uh, the winners, but by the time uh, this podcast uh, will go live, it will already be known. Uh, and uh, I will add uh, a link to the show notes uh, that uh, will describe all the winning projects. And uh, also, I will add a link to the live stream of uh, the finals, which will happen in a few hours after we record this. Now, okay, I am not still not ex entirely sold but i'm much less skeptical than i was at the beginning of uh, this and uh, yeah i would probably uh, be happy to uh, help uh, if necessary in the future and and uh, then i hope that uh, the people listening to it are even uh, more sold what is there for them are there more hackathons planned uh, and if somebody is interested uh, where they can register where can they take a look at uh, the uh, at the events uh, in the future 
Uh, there's a few different things that participants can do. I think the first one is sort of supporting the, the the companies that would have been created out of this hackathon. I think all the projects will be listed on our website and the ideas as well. Uh, and they can simply reach out to us uh, so that uh, we can connect them. The second one is there's two other hackathons that are going to take place in the coming weeks. The the one next week is called the Global Hack and it's been initiated by Garage48, uh, which started this movement in Estonia. They're actually gathering a lot of the organizers from all of the various chapters uh, and there's 41 right now um, to help out with this and that's happening uh, next week. And then uh, we also have one at the end of April that's been initiated by the European Union. Uh, which I think is very interesting as well, and is sort of going to be uh, focused on the 27 member state. Right. Okay, this makes a lot of sense. And uh, once again, uh, Seb, Robin, thank you so much for your opinions. Uh, thanks a lot uh, for coming to talk to me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So before we move on, a quick word from our sponsor. Lark provides all the essential tools you need to run a team remotely. You can collaborate on docs with your teammates, even during video calls, even in the same window of the video call. You can enjoy 200 gigabytes of free cloud storage and create chat groups for up to 5,000 people with unlimited searchable messages. Get started for free at larksuite.com slash techEU. Again, that's L-A-R-K-S-U-I-T-E.com slash T-E-C-H-E-U. Next up in our today's agenda is an interview recorded by Robin with Alex Thuma, the founder and CEO of SaaS Stock. How can the event industry deal with the crisis and what does the future hold for SaaS Talk itself? Let's hear more from Alex. Hey, Robin from TechEU. I am joined here remotely, of course, uh, by Alex, who is the founder of SaaS Talk, which is a global community of uh, people working in software as a service industry, uh, also uh, very well known for his annual conference, or should I say conferences, because it's a you know, series of events now. Um, Alex, thank you so much for joining us from London. Uh, thanks for having me, Robin. Good to see you. How have you been? Because I read on Twitter that you've actually contracted the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. This is, um, uh, so I'm 99.9% I'm sure that, uh, that, that, that I've had it. Um, you, you know, I haven't been tested, so it's not been certified. But, uh, you, you know, given that uh, it is, uh, you know, going around the world and uh, uh, around the UK uh, at the moment, uh, I got struck down with a virus on, on, on Saturday, uh, which, you know, had all the symptoms, started with a fever, uh, was in bed for like, you know, two, two and a half days, couldn't move, you know, body aches, uh, uh, everything, just like zero energy, um, managed to kind of, you know, start to feel a little bit better by Tuesday to do a bit of work, developed a nasty cough and, you know, then everything's kind of like blocked and uh, sort of congested. So now we're seven days uh, has kind of gone since it, it, it started and, and I'm feeling the best I, I, I have, right? Um, so energy is uh, is getting back to normal, not quite there. The cough uh, seems to have subsided since yesterday. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, sort of, uh, thanks for asking so much better than I was beginning of the week. Yeah, yeah. It sounds super intense and I'm glad you're on the mend now. Um, so for the people who don't know you, don't know Sasto, can you give us a little bit of a, a background? Yeah, sure. I'm, um, I'm the founder of Sastock. Um, I'm based in, in the UK being, this is our fifth year, uh, of, of operation. It's my first business, um, you know, that, that I've run. I kind of fell into it uh, a little bit. I started a blog on SaaS and a podcast on SaaS. I was doing some meetups in SaaS. 
uh, and then after about a year, had this little audience and community of SaaS that had built, um, and then decided to put on SaaS Doc, uh, um, you know, which is in Dublin, uh, first one in 2016, and we got 700 people from 34 countries uh, to attend. These were founders, execs running SaaS businesses and, and VCs and in investing in SaaS companies. Uh, so the first one was a success, and we've kind of grown that. Um, you know, over the uh, uh, you know over the sort of four years and a, uh, and a bit um, uh, to uh, last year, we ran six conferences in in six continents, uh, five continents, sorry, um, and uh, and we also launched SaaS.local, local, which is like um, local events uh, powered by local communities, but you know using the SaaS.brand brand and um, and uh, we we launched in about forty uh, cities uh, to date uh, on, on that. Um, so yeah, r- running uh, what uh, you know what appears to be a conference business, but actually, you know, I think what we're what we're really doing, um, you know, when when we think about it, what SaaStock's purpose is, uh, is, is that we're making a real difference to the lives, you know, of, of founders, uh, you know, and uh, of, of SaaS companies, um, and uh, uh, that's something that we've been doing, you, you know, um, uh, via our events, but also via our content and you know other kind of services, uh, you know, o- over the years. Um, but um, but yeah, we we kind of started this year, um, you know, with with these kind of big goals and lots of planning, like many companies did. Um, looking at twenty twenty, um, spent the whole 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 of January planning all of our you know series of conferences, and we were doing five conferences uh, uh, sort of this year. Um, we were planning to launch um, you know SaaS local to sixty different cities ar- across the world, um, you know, by the end of the year. Um, and then obviously coronavirus uh, kind of happened, right? Uh, COVID-19 happened to the world. And, uh, uh, and, and there was a big uh, kind of you know, jump off a cliff uh, in terms of revenue for us, as, as I think there was, uh, you know, everybody in the events industry, uh, you know, pretty much, yeah, not, right? Not, so, not just the um, events uh, industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that's the thing. Not, not, not just the event industry, right? So many businesses are, uh, are, are suffering right now. Um, and for us, for our personal experiences, we're like, well, you know, we generate revenue from selling tickets and from selling, you know, uh, uh, exhibition space. Uh, and we can't sell either of those at the moment because uh, nobody is investing into field marketing until there is more, you know, certainty uh, in the world. Uh, and certainly from, a, you know, the, the, the first half of the year. Um, and so we had to postpone two of our conferences um, uh, our SASDOC LATAM, uh, which was in, in Sao Paulo in May, and SASDOC North America, San Francisco in June. Uh, that's now in 2021. Uh, the LATAM one, where uh, we've rescheduled for September, um, you know, we're still hopeful that we can kind of keep that. Uh, Dublin remains in October. Uh, Asia PAC, uh, we're running in, in November in, in Singapore. Uh, again, there's uncertainty around that, but um, uh, through all of this, we, we sort of realized that, you, you know, there, there, there wasn't much diversification in, in, in our, our business model, um, you know, from a revenue perspective and something like this happens, then uh, all of a sudden we become non-revenue generating, which is a, an issue for, you know, our business and, and many other businesses, I'm sure, you know, are, are in, a, in, a, in a kind of similar position. And what, what is the effect going to be on the business? Do you, uh, can you keep on the staff until, uh, you know, the events in the autumn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still, well... There, there, there are some knowns and and, and some unknowns, right? But um, uh, so, so what we're um, what we're doing, or what we have to do, that you know, play a bit of offense and, and defense, right? Um, so, from the defense side of things, I think like many businesses, um, you know, having to do like where where do we cut costs, right? 
Um, what, what are the costs uh, uh, that we can immediately cut out of the business? And sadly, some of these were, you know, around contractors, um, right? And we had to kind of, uh, um, you, you know, pause contracts because uh, we, we had these long-term um, partners and contractors that we anticipated that we'd be working with, you know, for, for 2020, um, you know, working with us, you know, on, on demand generation, on social media and things like that. Um, yet, like all of a sudden, like if nobody's buying and we can't market the events, then there is no need necessarily for, for this. And, uh, and and that was the first place that we had to look, sadly. Um, uh, but uh, we have good relationships and these contractors were expecting it. Uh, and uh, took the news very well, despite the, the conversations being, you know, uh, a little bit tough. Um, but where we 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 effectively looked across the uh, our whole kind of you know uh, budget and looked at where we can kind of strip out costs um, uh, on the first instance, then to kind of preserve, um, you, you know, uh, I guess as long as we can, you, you know, our, our staff, our, our first team, our team leads, uh, we've all taken a pay cut, twenty percent pay cut. Um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, we don't know how long. We hope it's not more than two months, but it could be longer. Um, and um, yeah, unfortunately, I know the, uh, uh, the the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, uh, you know, he announced some good in- initiatives, um, uh, which seemed, you know, very interesting sort of at the time, but a bit unclear about, you know, furloughed workers and, um, you, you know, about the government paying up to 80% uh, for, for workers. But um, of their salaries, if they were up to two thousand five hundred. But the thing there is that um, that's to really kind of, I think, in my view, uh, help the um, uh, what is it the uh, you, you know the the employment uh, sort of statistics, so that everybody doesn't become unemployed, uh, and rather they become furloughed, and that the government, you know, so this, uh, the employment statistics are good, uh, but actually it doesn't really benefit the business too much, uh, you know, because you're paying for people that are not working, you know, uh, on the business. Um, so um, we're, we're hopeful that we don't have to do, uh, you know, uh, any, any more. Um, uh, so, well, we haven't done any layoffs, uh, but we're hopeful that we don't have to do any. But it may be something that, you, you know, we, we will have to look at, you know, in a month's time. Um, it, it, it really depends. So the, the, that's the sort of defense side of things, you know, cutting costs. Where do we, where do we cut? And sadly, contractors first, then the first team uh, cutting their uh, salaries. Um, then we, uh, from the offense side of things, it's like, we can't just sit here and wait it out. Right. Um, if, if, if we did that, uh, I mean, everybody can't just take a holiday. Uh, we're not in that position. Um, you, you know, we needed to find something, but not only find a solution for us, but also, you know, we want to find a solution for our customers. So, um, there are opportunities within, you know, the, these crises and, uh, uh for us, it, it's really, um, accelerated a lot of innovation, and a lot of our ideas about uh, bringing, uh, you know, the value of SaaS stock online. Um, and, you know, because when we think about, you know, we work for a whole year. So if we take our Dublin conference, for instance, whole year pulling all of this together, uh, you know, for this three-day event in Dublin, uh, everybody that goes gets tremendous values for three days. And then they get value, like, you know, afterwards from all the connections and stuff that they've made. Um, but how can we provide that value 365 days a year is a question, you know, often asked myself. So uh, we need more of an online presence. Um, you, you know, one of the ideas, we've actually come up with like seven product ideas, but we're not going to launch all seven in one go. Uh, we need to have some focus. Um, so the first thing we're going to do, uh, and our 90-day focus is our, our first virtual conference, Sastock Remote. Um, uh, so we've announced Sastock Remote, which will be taking place on June the 10th and 11th. 
Um, this will obviously be, uh, you, you know, uh, on, online. So no, no flights to Dublin or, um, uh, or, or anywhere. Um, and, um, yeah, we're excited. We're, we're, we're hoping to get 3000 attendees from across the globe, uh, to attend this 150 speakers, uh, the technology that's out there uh, uh, these days to run virtual events is really great. We're going to be partnering with Hopin, um, uh, you, who you may have heard of. And effectively, you can take the template of the Dublin conference, right, and put it onto the Hopin platform. And we can be running the same, you, you know, the same content, same stages, uh, breakout sessions, roundtables, networking matchmaking um you, you know it's uh, it, it's pretty cool right the technology's come a, a, yeah. a long way and i've just so we're, we're super, i just used uh, the hopping platform this week for my first um, virtual conference where, where i'm participating as a speaker um it's yeah. quite interesting to to see because i was always very skeptical of the the whole idea of um you know virtual conferences aside from some niche ones uh, but i have to say like the technology itself is very very advanced yeah yeah yeah, yeah like the, the virtual conferences i've attended in the past have been almost like zoom or almost like that you know it's like two people speaking and then a load of people watching and maybe some like chatter on the side right but now it's it's very advanced and uh um i i first came across the platform like six months ago uh and at the time i thought wow this was really cool and i i you know i shared it on slack to the team and it's like look look at this should we do a virtual conference and i think a couple of people said yeah you know, you know this looks cool like we should probably do something and then it just fell by the wayside and we just we we then kind of got heads down and like okay we've got to deliver five conferences this year so virtual wasn't on the roadmap but what this has done now you, you know uh, and the situation we're in is accelerated that and actually so the whole company the next 90 days everybody's focused on this everybody has their tasks and priorities all geared to remote and making that uh, a success so that's very exciting and, and and for the team not having done digital events before now they're learning new skills right and uh, but then there's so many unknowns right we don't know uh like we've we've come so far so uh, in, in such a short period of time uh, in create you know choosing the name choosing the the, the platform partner uh, creating the pricing creating the branding the landing pages all, all done in like you, you know less than two weeks and uh, we normally would take much longer to, to to do all of this and now we have to learn the technology and the platforms and uh, etc and so it, it's an exciting time and, it, and it's really galvanizing the team the team are also you know they're really aware that this is this you know it's almost make or break you know for the company right if we if we don't come out of this right it, it could be very difficult you know uh for us the company could look very different for the second half of the year uh but everybody is aware of that everybody's like you know pumped for the challenge um so that's pretty cool to see yeah good to hear and i'm looking forward to see how that translates to to a virtual uh, conference uh it's in june right what was the date the dates uh, June 10th and 11th. June 10th and 11th. Great. Um, so now you have a, a pretty deep and wide network in uh, the SaaS community, of course, globally. Um, what has been the effect on, on the companies that you've talked to or the founders that you've talked to in the past few weeks um, from from your point of view? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, well, I have to I have to sort of be honest. Like, I mean, having, um, you, you know, we have like some social media conversations uh, with, uh, with people. Um, everybody is feeling an effect, um, you know, because uh, generally people have sort of reacted to, you know, my social media comments and say, look, you, know, you know, obviously we feel for you, you know, within the in events industry, uh, we're also seeing impacts to, to our own our own business, right? And they might be a SaaS company that is, you, you know, uh, focused on lead generation or or something like that. So what, I, what, what we're seeing is I think a wider 
you know, economic impacts in terms of I think you know a lot of the uh, a lot of buying and purchasing has really kind of like slowed down. Hiring has you know really kind of like slowed down. Um, a, a lot of companies have you know totally paused hiring, and and, and everybody's thinking about okay, well we're in a a health crisis, but you know it's also having this economic crisis, and therefore, in an economic crisis, there are there are things that we need to do, right? As businesses, uh, and, and often, you know, this you know results in redundancies. I mean, we saw um, yesterday. Uh, I think it was Trip Actions, you know, announced a hundred, you know, people kind of laid off, and you know, given that they're a, a SaaS in the 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 B two B sort of travel space, right? It's uh, um, that wasn't necessarily surprising, it, you know. It's obviously always sad to hear, uh, but um, but yeah, a, a lot of people, um, you know, obviously are going to be uh, have been or will be, you know, sort of made redundant uh, because of this uh, the, this crisis. So there's going to be a lot of good people on the market, uh, which is a good thing. But also, like you, you know, for me, okay, great. There's a lot of good people on the market, but I can't hire anybody because I've got to protect, you, you know, what we've got, right? And um, so the, 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 those, are the, those are the challenges. But um, some companies will will clearly do well, you know, uh, out of this. And obviously, I mean, you know, technologies, technologies like Zoom, I mean, they're trading at, what, 71 and a half times their revenue yeah. at the moment, almost becoming a social networking platform uh, rather than a video conferencing yeah. platform. I read because, today right? that their stock market valuation has now surpassed all of the airlines combined. Uh, wow! Which is, well, yeah, yeah. You know, the insanity—it's it, 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 it's crazy, right? So, uh, and again, I mean, Eric, you, you, and, you know, would never have thought about it, right? Um, uh, or I, I, I don't know, unless he, he was a genius. But, uh, um, but yeah, so technologies like Zoom are doing really, really well. Technologies like Hopin, uh, I mean, for instance, like um, you know, a, a global pandemic is now really kind of putting their business to the forefront because the only way that you can run a conference or an event is online and all of a sudden when they were in you, you know uh, kind of early release sort of beta phase now they've had to rush this through and i think they they just can't cope with the demand right um so this can really this really elevate their business right so there there are some winners out of it and perhaps maybe i'm not sure whether they want to kind of win in in these circumstances but i guess they'll they'll take it um yeah, i've, uh, I've but, spoken, uh, spoken to a few companies in the you know online collaboration education of course because a lot of kids are being homeschooled um health, yeah. healthcare for obvious reasons um so there are going to be winners for sure uh but i guess the the the, the bad stories and the bad news is only is just the beginning of it so so we'll see in the, in the yeah. coming months yeah 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 so um Aside from this crisis, how would you rate, because you have sort of a global view on this, uh, how would you rate the European SaaS market? How do I rate the market aside from the crisis? I mean, it, it, it has been a, you know, a very strong market. I mean, SaaS has been like, uh, you, you know, doing so well for, you know, it's been a boom for a, a long time, I think, you know, in, in SaaS, right? Um, uh, we, there's been the odd kind of blip, but, uh, but effectively, <clears throat> I mean, since I can remember, since like I would say 2008, you, you know the, the the kind of the, the curve of growth of, of SaaS has been uh, uh, really booming. Uh, it's so exciting, you, you know, in in Europe, and it has been like really exciting um, for the space that we've seen like so many great companies uh, that have come out, um, you know, uh, of Europe. I mean, obviously, like Intercom, they say they're a US company, but you know, you've got four Irish founders and, you know, it was founded in Dublin, but, uh, they, they, they say they're a US business, uh, you, you know, uh, uh is one, I mean, Travelperk, 
uh, again, I'm not sure if it's the, the, the kind of the best example given the current sort of climate, but, you know, it was the fastest growing SaaS company for two two years consecutively, um, you know, uh, and, and really kind of great to see what they'd built. And obviously now they've got some challenges perhaps to, uh, to go through, you know, similar to, uh, to, to trip actions. But I think the, the level of um, creativity uh, within Europe, uh, um, the level of talent in Europe, and uh, because Europe is so... Um, you know, fragmented, uh, right? Uh, that we've got so many, uh, I think, like great entrepreneurs, founders, and you know, people and engineers uh, with different cultures and experiences and backgrounds, like all over, uh, all over Europe. Whether it's in you know Barcelona or Dublin or London, you know, or Brussels, and coming up with their own sort of ideas and creating you know great platforms. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I've just seen like hundreds and hundreds and thousands. Uh, you know, of, of great, uh, great solutions and platforms like come about over the last sort of few years. So we're really, or Sastock had been, you know, almost riding the wave, you know, of the, the SaaS industry. So as, you know, SaaS continues to perform, uh, then, you know, our growth, you know, is is almost, sort of, you know, linear to that. Um, and uh, now, obviously, you, you know, uh, we, we can't necessarily quite uh, ride that wave uh, at the moment and, and, and things will uh, be put on hold. But I think a lot of innovation will come out of what, what's happening sort of right now. And uh, we'll see some new tech uh, uh, perhaps as well, uh, some new platforms emerge. Um, um, I don't know who they are yet. Uh, but again, I guess nobody knew who, who Hopin was probably a month ago, exactly. right? And uh, and they might become the next Eventbrite, right? Um, so, uh, so examples like this, and so to see how perhaps with that example, how a company can be, you know, perhaps have very little revenue and and you know, you know have no presence like online and no awareness to perhaps you know being you, you know the next big thing. Um, it, it's an interesting space to be, and like you, you can do that. I'm sure in other industries. But you, you know, it's a great place to do it. You know, within within SaaS, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, we we saw like last year, you know, thousands and thousands of SaaS companies within Europe are being created, like you know, all the time. Uh, not all of them make it, right? So a lot of them, you know, don't survive. And then, uh, but often those founders they try again and come up with a new idea. Um, but we're seeing, you know, at SaaStock in Dublin. Um, you know, every year, you know, so many new startups come. Uh, a lot of them are really exciting. Uh, again, like, you know, companies like Cladara, um, you know, uh, are super interesting. They won the uh, startup competition in 2018. Um, and then since then, have you know, gone on to sort of great things, raised the 900K sort of round, I think, like with, uh, I think it was Techstars uh, and, and so on. But, you know, solving real problems and um, it's exciting, uh, exciting place to be, I think, European SaaS. And I, I would say, like, you know, uh, as much, if not more so than, than the, the, the U.S., Great. Well, thanks for um, shedding some light on the situation uh, from your side. Uh, hopefully, we'll learn more about these new technologies and we can continue the conversation at Southstock Remote and hopefully a lot of physical events to come uh, in the autumn and also next year. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, wish you all the best, of course, with your health. Please stay safe and healthy, uh, your family as well. And uh, yeah, best of luck with Southstock. Thanks, Robin.
That's a great conversation. Thanks again, Robin and Alex, for making it happen. And before we wrap things up today, let me take a minute for another shout out to our sponsor, Lark. If you are managing a remote team, as many of us do these days, you want to try Lark. It's got everything you need. It's got chat, video conferencing, docs, calendar. You can sign up for free and receive 200 gigabytes of cloud storage, calls for up to 100 participants and chat groups for up to 5,000 people. Get started for free at larksuite.com slash techEU. Again, that's L-A-R-K-S-U-I-T-E.com slash T-E-C-H-E-U. Thank you, Lark, for supporting the TechEU podcast. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techEU. So wherever you are, we hope you stay safe and healthy and can take care of yourself and people around you. Have a good week. I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.